0: Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, thank you for joining us on the Light in the Darkness podcast. Today, I'm so grateful to be able to talk to Heidi Swapp. Thanks so much for being here today, Heidi. Thank you.
1: I'm super honored and privileged to be here. Thank you.
0: No, I am honored. (laughs) Let me just tell them a little bit about you. So Heidi Swap is a busy wife and mom to five amazing kids, ranging from 13 to 23 years old. She's the creative force behind her own brand of signature craft and memory-keeping products, which can be found online and in craft stores throughout the world. Heidi has a personal passion to help parents find ways to support their kids and improve parent-teen relationships, and she's one of the hosts of The Light, The Fight, podcast. So, thanks again for being here, Heidi.
1: <laughs> absolutely, thank you.
0: So, first, can you just tell us a little bit about you and your family, kind of how it began and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm actually from Utah. Uh, born and raised here and that was kind of back in the era where you it felt like I went to the same elementary with all the kids in my neighborhood, and then we all went to the same middle school, and then we all went to the same high school. We all graduated together and then kind of went different ways. Um, I think that I lived in a very religious community, a very religious um, family, but a lot, I mean, most of my neighbors, most of my friends were all of my same faith. And, um, I, I definitely lived in a little bubble. Um, I have a very, very happy memories of my childhood. You know, my parents have been married for 50 years this year and my dad was self-employed. Um, both of, you know, there's. I have a very entrepreneurial spirit and family. So, um, and also very creative. Like on one side of my family, my my mom's dad was very entrepreneurial, very business. And my dad's side, very, very creative. And so um, my both my grandfathers very, very influential on me. I had a really close relationship with um, both my extended family. They both lived close by. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and I feel like being around your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and your cousins, I just feel like it's so... Um, strengthening those relationships are very. Um, for me, they were very safe, and um, I felt like I could. I was loved, and I, I knew I was loved, and um, so I. I thrived, yeah. uh, you know, as a as a young person. Um, I I met my husband like my last year of high school, and we dated pretty virtually for about five years. Oh, wow. <laughs> because he served a mission. Uh, well, we dated for about a year while he was in, in college at, at BYU and I was in high school in Salt Lake. And then he served a mission for two years, came home. And then I served a mission for, for how, you know, for <laughs> and then came home. We got married pretty quickly after I got home from my mission. Um, I served a mission for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I served in Portugal.
0: Oh, cool.
1: Um, while I was there, I actually got hit by a car oh. and had to come home early. Oh. <laughs> so, um, but I will continue to say the time that I spent serving my mission um, was the most self-defining time Um as far as a missionary, I wouldn't say was abundantly successful at the work of bringing people to God. (laughs) Um, but the work of serving others, the work of coming closer to God, understanding the role of Jesus Christ in my life um, and the importance of families very, very much um, settled into my core and my foundation. Um, and so, You know, really family is everything to me. Families aren't perfect and families are hard and those family relationships take work. Um, I come from a family of three, four, well, there's four of us. So three siblings, um, two brothers and a sister. And when I was 12 years old, um, we were up at a cabin with extended family the day after Christmas and there was we were in park city and it was in 1983 and there was just a like that was a time if you're from utah in 1983 you remember a lot of snow um there and in this particular year it was the same year of all those floods and mm-hmm. there was just a lot of moisture um so the floods came after this big big winter of a lot of snow okay. And, um, where we were staying, there was, you know, six to eight feet of snow on the ground and mass amounts of snow on the roof of this cabin and, and ice. And there was a snow accident that morning. And both my brothers were involved in kind of an avalanche experience of snow falling off of the cabin and pinning them underneath all the snow and ice. Um, my six year old brother was killed in that accident and my nine year old brother, was severely injured, um, but did survive. And that experience in my life—I mean, experiences like that just change you in in every way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be what I would say was probably my the greatest impactful experience up, um, in my life because um, it really called into question my faith. It required me to figure out my belief in God, my belief in why we're here on earth, where we're going. Um, it caused me to have to step up in my family and the oldest daughter. and um, it caused me to have to really take on new roles in my family as it was very um, distressing time to my, to my mom and dad. and um anyway, it. It also gave me. I'm sorry, let me get emotional. Um, a guardian angel.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, that brother of mine has stayed. Um. Has stayed in my life very closely even as he's he's uh on the other side and uh, i wouldn't learn until later how um critical that time and those lessons that experience would be um on in a lot of, of levels so i learned at that time that i needed to be able to talk i everybody felt very um uncomfortable talking about the accident people wanted to know what happened but then were afraid to talk about it and i just learned that i was the one that set the um set the feeling for whether people were were walking on eggs eggshells or talking openly about death about Mm -hmm. trauma and i wanted to talk and so um i was very much about de shaming i didn't know that at the time i didn't know that was a word i didn't know that was an action um but i wanted to de shame that, that conversation and so i always told people that i had a brother who passed away and the tone of my voice and the way that i approached it made it safe for people to ask me what happened and gave me many tender opportunities to share and is was essential to me healing um going forward from that time our family was i would say we grew even closer now that doesn't always happen but because we learned how to talk about quinn his name is quinn um it really helped us to um, to grow as a family. At that same time, um, we come from a long line of scrapbookers, but at that time, my mom started scrapbooking about Quinn's short life, only six years. And for about a year, the, the dining room table was covered with photos of Quinn and stickers and, um, A deep um, effect on me. Um, It opened up the chance for us to always um, have conversations. The stories in the form of photos were spread out, and we talked of him often. And we laughed and we cried. And um, that little life of his was preserved in that album and became. Just a, a center point for our family. Yeah. Um, we knew he was still part of our family. He was still someone that we talked about. He was somebody that we still loved, and um, that was an important part of my healing and my foundation as a as a person. Yeah. Um, with, maybe without me really knowing. Um, so I think that when I left my home and went into a marriage, to me, taking photos and preserving family stories was really important to me. That was fun. And, um, that was my joy, my, my hobby, I guess, and my passion. and i also brought with me this very very firm testimony of jesus christ understanding of the forever nature of families so
0: i think that's beautiful i think that um Growing up in that time it's interesting to hear you say that there was a stigma on death especially because of the way he died like that wasn't anybody's fault right <laughs> that he had an avalanche and and was buried under snow and that's not anybody's fault but at that time there really was just a a stigma and I think it's such a beautiful thing to think about that um as a young girl, you knew that it was still important to talk about your brother and um, include him in your family and all of those types of things. And I love that your mom did the scrapbook. I think a lot of times people in that era more chose to just kind of out of sight, out of mind. If we're not talking about it, then I'm not being sad and not hurting. Yeah. And so that's kind of how they dealt with things back then. Um, but I think it's so beautiful to think that your family, even back then knew the your mom was just like, I want to preserve these memories of him um, because there comes a point in everybody's life where pictures are the only things, pictures and memories are the only yeah. things that are left. Yeah. So...
1: I, I think that, you know, as you as you grow up and you're in these um, family situations as a child, you don't even realize how it's impacting you or for good or for bad. Um, and, you know, you don't realize how hard it is to be a mom yeah. until you're a mom. And then you realize, okay, well, the fact, really that, hard. <laughs> the fact that, you know, she was able to keep going, um, in that loss. Um, you know, one thing I will say about that is I think that it doesn't matter how somebody dies. That's something that I've had to learn in, in my life. It doesn't matter how they die. There's guilt and there's shame and there's wishing you would, you would have done something different. Yeah. And, um, those feelings can just cause us to really separate from that person that's on the other side. And, um, I believe in doing everything that we can to foster the relationship on the other side. I think that we can still have very real, um, relationships with our family members and people that we love that have passed.
0: I agree. I agree. That's beautiful. So you grew up and you and your husband got married after your missions and then you had five kids. So kind of walk me through that just a little bit of kind of how close they are in age and, and we'll talk a little bit more about your story. Yeah, you
1: bet. We um, It took us a few minutes. It took us a few years to get kids. Um, but once we did our, you know, I will tell you, we're not planners. I'm not a planner. (laughs) Eric would probably like to be a planner, but I'm not really a planner. Um, We had two boys really close together, 18 months apart. And then a daughter in two years later. And then we were like, okay, that's it. That's enough. They were very close. Um, It was overwhelming. And to be completely honest, I didn't enjoy being a mom. Um. Like I guess I thought I would. I thought it was just gonna be fun, and that you'd have these cute kids. And like I saw in my mind this picture that just was not my reality. I thought it was really hard. Um, I felt isolated. I felt depressed. I felt like I just was living groundhog day. I was really I really struggled with those little kids um I'm not a creature of routine, which, you know, going back, if I could do something again, I would try to be a little bit more vigilant in routine might've helped me, but, um, I just really struggled. And so I turned to scrapbooking Mm -hmm. and taking photos and making beautiful, like fun scrapbook pages and remembering the good times and being able to share that with my little kids. They loved looking at the pictures They loved being a part of that. They loved having their pictures taken. I enjoyed creating stuff. I just loved the creativity was what um, I turned to, to help me. And um, so at a pretty young point, I started teaching classes and writing books and got a job designing products for a scrapbooking company. And I got opportunities to travel all over the world. And um, Eric was kind of supportive, not supportive. He didn't love me being gone because it's freaking hard to have little teeny <laughs> kids when yeah. you know, you're know you home alone. Um, but he did know how happy it made me and empowered, I felt as I started to find my voice and I started blogging and um, writing for magazines articles for magazines and i just really learned how to express myself and how to convey my ideas and it was amazing because i hadn't learned that in college i had it was something that i learned myself and just thrived in i loved yeah. it i quickly like grew friends all over the world and that was not something I ever expected. Um, and around that time, I had a strong impression that there were two more babies. And I was just like, okay, well, only if they come as twins. Because <laughs> I'm awesome. only going to go through that one pregnancy disaster <laughs> yeah. nightmare one more time. <laughs> you know, I really didn't enjoy being pregnant. I didn't. Anyway, um, I do, though, love babies. Yes. So, <laughs>
0: um,
1: anyway. <clears throat> As luck would not have it, I um, had two more babies, 11 months to the day apart. They were not twins. They were, in fact, it was like worse than twins. Yeah, that's kind of Um, true. And then when my youngest was six weeks old, we moved our whole family to China for my husband's business. And we lived for 18 months in Beijing. which takes me to the next most impactful, important experience in my life. Just sacred, beautiful, wonderful time. And um, I was scared to go. And I thought we were crazy and we were, and it was crazy. And it was not abundantly responsible financially to, to take that leap. It didn't turn it. We thought it would be, it didn't, yeah. but, um, it taught our family how to rely on each other and how to, to rely on our community. We had a close community of, um, foreign foreigners, people who are living from in China as foreigners in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints community, a lot of LDS people, that were mostly working for the U S government okay. in various um, capacities. And so we just had the best time. It was the best <laughs> time. Um, and my children all learned how to speak Chinese and we learned, um, I have a great love for the Chinese people,
0: yeah.
1: probably not the Chinese government. <laughs> um, but the Chinese are the most humble and kind people. I just really love the time that we have there. Anyway. Yeah. So um my kids were from ten to to you know brand new yeah. when we did that and it was a great, great experience. Um amazing memories. So we came home basically bankrupt Aww. and lost our home and lost both of our work contracts and started over from scratch. Eric went back to school. I tried to figure out how to restart, which also super defining. Um, I learned so much about myself and um, was way smarter and better after that.
0: It's interesting that you say that. So one of the things that um, I talk about a lot on this podcast is just kind of I guess, become my little catchphrase on here. I I didn't intend it to, but it's something that's kind of been a mantra for me in my life. Um, we were talking a little bit about before um, we were recording that everybody has hard things that come up in their lives. Everybody has trials. And I mean, we really haven't even gotten to the the really big one yet <laughs> um, in your life. And you've already experienced quite a lot of things. And as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there's one thing that we know. We are sent here for a purpose on this earth, and we're going to give be given these hard things and these trials. And when I first got sick, I, people used to come up to me and just say, I don't know how you do it. And I would always tell them, well, I don't have another choice. And the longer that I've gone on, I've actually realized that's not true. Like, I always have a choice. I totally have a choice. And I can choose whether to let the trials in my life just make me bitter and hard and angry at life and Heavenly Father and everything around me, or I can choose to use these experiences to make me better, a better person, a better daughter of God, a better, better mother. And so I'm loving that that attitude that you're having in your life to to become better, not bitter, and um, I'm kind of seeing that as kind of a common thing throughout all of your hard times. So I think that's impressive. Well, that,
1: I had my like bitter. Oh, don't for sure, everybody, get it. Does. <laughs>
0: everybody does. Everybody does, <laughs> but we don't linger there forever.
1: <laughs> but it's okay to feel that for, for a minute. Sure. You know, yes. it's it's. Um, I can remember. We had a beautiful home um, in Arizona that I, we spent so much money doing and redoing and um, and we had to we had to leave it. We had to short sell it. and um, I can remember we didn't have anywhere to go, we didn't have jobs, we had five kids. Yeah. and I can remember laying in the guest bedroom of my mother-in-law's house, thinking, "I do not know if we will ever." recover from this, you know, cue the, what's that tiger guy? I never watched that, but
0: <laughs> I saw the memes of the guy saying, I will never financially recover. Oh yes. I didn't watch that either. I didn't, the tiger. <laughs> I didn't watch it, but anyway,
1: um, I just didn't think we ever would. And, um, and I can genuinely say that I'm grateful because I learned so much on the rebuild so much. Um, and, and, you know, I did financially recover, so I can feel grateful (laughs) for that. Maybe if I still hadn't financially recovered, I mean, you know, I don't know if I can ever retire, but that's fine. fine. I don't need to. Oh, Um, um, Anyway, so we when we came back from China, we had a miracle. My parents were leaving to serve their mission in Fiji. And they literally um, moved every item of theirs out of their house into storage and allowed us to move into their home for that 18 months. And it was a critical, that was a critical time. Um, But just for a second, think about doing that for your kid for your kids let their five (laughs) kids move in and you move, pack up everything you own. They packed up everything and moved out. And then when we, when they finished their mission, we packed up and moved and they moved everything back in. And they didn't, they didn't give us money. They didn't pay for any of our mistakes. But what they had to give us, what they could give us, was a place to kind of rebuild. So that was a huge blessing, huge, huge miracle blessing. Um, and that's what parents do. Anyway, so we moved out to Harriman. We've been there ever since. Been here ever since 2010. So we um, we lived in a rental for a lot longer than we thought, and. Um, Another set of miracles allowed us to buy a home, which like I told you, I didn't know if we ever would be able to. And so we live in a beautiful home that I, that I cherish
0: for sure in a really big way. So I think this kind of brings us up to, um, the reason that I'm having you here. Um, this week. So yesterday, I shared an episode about my sister Brooke, because it was the 12th anniversary of her death. And she passed away by suicide at 29 years old. So in her honor, I wanted to focus this week on sharing stories of those we love and also bring awareness to mental health and the need for connection in our lives. And unfortunately, you have also lost a loved one. To suicide, so I would love to hear about Corey, about his story, and um, we can just start kind of wherever you feel like we should. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Corey,
1: Corey is my second oldest child, and um, very cute kid, um, super friendly kid. He's he could make friends with anybody and everybody, everybody just everybody he met loved him, even people that he really hated (laughs) thought that they were his friend. Mm -hmm. He just he was very he just was very friendly, very kind. And and it kinda you realize you can be kind and not like people. And you can treat people and be friendly to them and make them feel um accepted, even if you don't like him. Yeah. Corey did that a lot. <laughs> um, he just is very warm personality. And um, Corey passed away by suicide when he was 16 years old, which was five years ago, five and a half years ago, um, pretty soon after his 16th birthday. And, um, you know, I tell you, that right I tell you on that day when that happened I was 100% shocked I did not know that Corey was suicidal um from where I stand five years later from a lot of therapy um three and a half years of a podcast about mental health and relationships um and really five years of a change in our community of being willing to talk about mental health and address suicide. I should have seen it. There were a lot of things that were going on that if I saw them now, I would know, but I didn't. And my mantra (laughs) Is that you have to forgive yourself for the things that you didn't know until you learned that? Yeah, and I think about that every single day because, um, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't understand depression, I didn't understand, um, I didn't even think about mental health ever. Um, I come from a long line of suck it up, <laughs> yeah, and that worked for me because. I don't have depression. I don't, I have felt depression before, but I, but depression was not a part of who I was. And, um, when you don't have depression, you don't understand it and you can't be expected to understand it really, Mm -hmm. but we can learn about it. And when we learn about it, we can be a far, far greater support. Um, Corey, I will tell you that people say, you know, why Why do you think Corey took his own life? And I will say, first of all, that I try really hard to create a non-eggshell situation around me. I don't want anybody to feel like they can't ask me about Corey or can't talk to me about suicide. I will talk to anybody about Corey and about suicide any day of the week. And twice on Sunday, which today happens (laughs) to be true. (laughs) And um, I, I am not ashamed. I'm sad. I'm not ashamed. I want to talk about it, and so I don't want anyone to ever feel like they can't talk to me about it. So I'll I'll just say that. And I think that that's a decision that I've made. I think it was a. I will still cry, but. Um. I learned that when my brother died, that, that we gotta talk about it. So okay, sorry for the crying. I'm a crier, just in case you don't already know that you you do. You already know that about me. But anyway, um Corey. Corey is super, super fun kid and super active kid. He did not he did not play a single video game. Like, always looking for his own adventures. Like, did not sit inside. <laughs> um, you couldn't even buy him toys. Because he didn't play with toys, either. He was climbing trees, scaling fences, you know. Um, he loved to play hockey. He played rugby. He loved CrossFit. Um, he's very strong very capable athletic kid loved skateboarding snowboarding basically just lived on the edge very much a risk seeker um and when people ask me what caused corey to take his life um you know which is the question that's the question Mm -hmm. That's the question that you're left with. That's the question that everybody has. Like, what happened? And I finally realized it wasn't one thing or 10 things. It was 100 things. And all 100 of those things come at once. And um, that decision was made. There is a special trifecta that I've learned over the years. And Corey had the trifecta. Um, which is relationship problems with his significant other. He was having problems with his girlfriend. Number two, a head injury. And number three, substances of some kind. Um, And so ultimately, at that point, um, those three things come together and all of the other hundred things on top of that. And, and so I will tell you that from my hindsight, Corey had a head injury that involved a pogo stick. So not hockey, not rugby, (laughs) not climbing trees, (laughs) not skateboarding, a pogo stick. And it wasn't a regular pogo stick, it was these um supercharged pogo sticks that you put air compressed compressed air in and um he could like jump over a car. That's how oh my gosh, wow big the pogo sticks yeah. were he fell. He was did not have a helmet on. And um we talked for a minute actually before we recorded about our daughters dancing together at Lagoon, and that's the day it happened. Oh wow! My daughter Quincy was dancing at Lagoon, and um, I got a call from my husband at the at the ER, and Corey had experienced a traumatic brain injury. Only I didn't really know what a traumatic brain injury was. Um, he had been competing in CrossFit and winning, and um, kicking butt. <laughs> And um going like, so this is a 14 year old going for ten mile runs with um, elevation masks while we live in Utah. Oh. Like this kid, um, he was very, very driven. Yeah. But after that accident, he couldn't crossfit, he couldn't do rugby, he couldn't exercise. And we started to see a very sudden Change in him, particularly in his temperament. He couldn't stand anything, couldn't stand anyone. Um, He was annoyed easily, agitated easily. Everything kind of set him off. He was also 14. Yes.
0: (laughs) So my son actually um, got a brain injury, also. Um, He was longboarding without a helmet. And I always say that brain injury and teenage boy are so similar and it's really hard to figure out which,
1: <laughs> it is. which is what it is. And,
0: <laughs> um,
1: and I just, we believe what we want to believe. And so when doctors told me that it was puberty, I was just like, oh, yeah. okay, well, whatever. Um, but moms and dads, you know, your kids yeah. and don't just, just be dismissed by doctors. That's. Dig deeper. Yeah. Dig deeper. Um, We started to notice as he started ninth grade, that his grades were really struggling. His grades struggling Um, to me meant that he was being irresponsible. But what it really meant was that he was in trouble. Um, meaning he couldn't do it. Yeah couldn't focus he couldn't function and um it took me a while to figure out that something was really wrong and depression really set in and anxiety really set in with him um because we motivated our kids and rewarded our kids based on their grades at that time um we do not anymore at all i strongly 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 believe that we should not reward kids based on their academic behavior yeah. not all kids have the same ability to learn and there's a lot of things that go into learning sure. and so um that was a hard lesson for this one for yeah. me um anyway um there were other signs going on, but it wasn't until the next year that Corey was busted at school with marijuana. Um he came forward and got suspended. And my level of anger was exceptionally high compared to probably other mom's levels of anger. Um I I freaked out. And when I say freak out, not little freak out. I freaked out. Like I really genuinely thought it was the end of the world. I lost it. This is another thing. Jumping forward five years from now, I just believe very, very, very strongly that we just don't need to freak out about anything that happens. It's our job as parents to stay in control. It doesn't mean we can't can't be mad or disappointed or worried, but it is our job to not freak out. Um, cause I'm sure that scared the absolute, <laughs> anyway, um, that situation of, of Corey being expelled, not expelled, put on probation, um, also required us to find him a therapist, which we hadn't done at that point. So we found an amazing therapist through some miracles that is still one of my dearest friends that I now have a podcast with. Yeah. Um, and that therapist was actually going through a lot at that time in his life. And in that spring, when Corey was in seeing David and um, we were trying to work through things, David had to have two open heart surgeries.
0: Oh,
1: wow. <laughs> and so, you know, it was, it was tricky. Um, But Corey was doing great, and I was calming down, and anyway, I don't know exactly what happened in that last little while, to tell you the truth, Um, the last couple days of Corey's life. Um, He was acting very erratically. He was having what I know now... were severe anxiety attacks, but I just didn't know what that was. I'd never seen it before. Um, He was just not himself. He was crying all the time, um, running away, taking off and then talking a lot about wanting to talk a lot about God. Corey had decided that he didn't believe in God or in Jesus Christ. And felt like I mean, we could we could talk for about this for, for a really long time. But um I remember one of our last conversations was me sharing with Corey that you didn't have to understand how an airplane worked to get on it and to fly to Hawaii. You know, we don't have to totally understand how God works in order to trust the journey. Yeah. Um. What I know now is that Corey was just um, not okay. And we did go and we, we met with our therapist. In fact, we met with our therapist about 45 minutes before Corey took his life. Wow. And we had a wonderful session. And I really came home from there thinking that everything was going to be okay. Um, I have learned so much since losing Corey. Um, I will not tell you that I'm grateful.
0: Yeah. I would never ask you to.
1: <laughs> I I don't feel grateful. Oh. But what I'm grateful for is um, what I have learned. Here's the thing is that people don't have to go through this one to learn which is why I started a podcast which is why you have this podcast yeah. um, I believe that as we learn more about struggle about talking about building relationships we can prevent suicide um, right now I don't know where you might be listening from but Right now in Utah, in Salt Lake, along I-15, there are several billboards that say that it like shows people doing things together and it says, this is suicide prevention. And I love that so much because everybody is so afraid of the word suicide prevention and so afraid of suicide, which it's scary stuff for sure. But I 100% believe that connection is everything. And even though I know that Corey loved me, and I know that Corey knew I loved him, I don't think we had a lack of love. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, you just have to love him. And you know what? It's not enough. Sorry, that love is great. And we do have to love him and show love. And that's great. But it is not enough. We don't just love them. We have to have powerful relationships with these people so that they will trust us enough to tell us what's going on so that we can get them help because they need help. When you're in crisis, when you're experiencing anxiety attacks, when you want to die, you need help. It doesn't mean that you want to be dead. It doesn't mean that you, you know, this is one, another thing I've learned. People don't actually want to leave their lives and leave their family and abandon ship, but they don't know what else to do. And many times they don't have vocabulary. They don't, you ask somebody that is in that place, what's wrong? They don't, they can't even tell you because there's a hundred things that are wrong, you know? Um, and Corey is one of those people that I look at, that you look at and you would not think have this problem. He had tons of friends, tons of interests. He was, had a job. He was active, healthy, doing things. Um, he just got in a car for his birthday. He just ordered a brand new skateboard. Like you don't look at him and say, oh, that kid's in trouble. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the reality is we can't look at anybody and make any of those assumptions. What we have to have is real relationships. And even though like I love Corey and I made him the food that he wanted at midnight, I thought that that was enough. Right. I thought that my like washing his clothes and Helping him get what he needed and providing food in the pantry, whatever. Like that was my job. But it is more. It is texting throughout the day. It is being open with them about what you're struggling with and being there for them. It's about being vulnerable with your kids and when they fail, loving them anyway, when they're. When they, you know, here's the thing they're going to test you. And when they drop their milkshake in the middle of your freshly cleaned mop floor, if you can't laugh about it somehow and find a way to include them in the solution and find a way to help them fix that small of a situation, they're not going to come to you when they think that they're gay or when they've just crashed the car or when they have a relationship problem, they're being bullied. Any of these things that are really big causing them major turmoil in their life. If you can't even clean up their milkshake, they're not going to come to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is coming from a mom who got pissed When the smoothies got dropped, you know, like I freaked out. (laughs) And that's where I'm talking about, like in this freak out, like you got to learn how to not freak out when it's not a big deal to prove to them that you won't freak out when it is a big deal. And even though I'm not perfect, my kids, they'll all come in here, they'll line up and tell you that I'm not perfect at not freaking out. Um, But when I do freak out, you better believe 30 seconds later, I'm in there asking for their forgiveness yeah. and reminding them how, much, how important they are to me and their life is to me and their friendships are to me. Their grades are important to me and I do want them to work hard, but I'm going to show up and make sure that they're supported every step of the way and recognize that their grades do not represent their value in my mind or in anybody else's mind. And just because they can't get an A in math does not mean they can't be a successful human. Yeah. And even if they don't believe in the God that I believe in, the God that I believe in, believes
0: in them. It's true. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. I I really appreciate it. I, you know, like we said at the beginning, I think this this vulnerability and openness. Um, I think you're not only modeling it for your family and for your kids, but I think that you kind of became this <laughs> spokesperson that you never wanted to be, <laughs> true <laughs> in a in an area that you never thought you would. Um, but, um, I was telling you before. I I actually so you and I are in the same community, but we've never met in person, but we have little connections here and there. And I did not know you, um, as Heidi swap crafter or anything like that, because (laughs) that was not my, um, thing, you know, but when Corey passed away, I started following you and, because I've lost somebody to Sue. well you have to share. <laughs> oh, go ahead. You have to share
1: the <laughs> Bailey story. So my
0: cute little my cute oldest daughter <laughs> and Corey, when they were seventh grade, they they had little crush on each other. It was quick. <laughs> but even, even in high school, <laughs> little hearts broken. Yeah, it's little so good. heart's broken. In fact, literally, I mm, I better not share all the stories. You no, know, you have to.
1: <laughs> you have to tell because this is so funny. We still talk about <laughs> the this. jar of hearts. Yes. In fact, we just talked about it like a week ago because the song came on the radio and we were talking about that because Corey had no idea. Yeah. Like, you know, 13 year old kid, no clue how much he had hurt this girl's feelings. Well, and. But yeah. wasn't it? She has a beautiful it voice, does. stood up and sang the song. I don't
0: know the name. It's of called Jar, of, Jar Hearts, of Hearts. Yeah. At their talent show.
1: <laughs> and bravely says, this is going out to Corey's lap.
0: <laughs> because uh, I'm pretty sure oh, he felt they broke so up on Valentine's bad. Day. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they broke up on Valentine's Day. But the best part about this story is, you know, he had his struggles. They, he changed schools. and But they reconnected as they got older. And I remember it was Valentine's Day. And I think this was the year that he passed away. And, um, was. she was excited to, to be his friend again. And, um, she brought him a jar of candy hearts. <laughs> That's kind of a, a little. We <laughs> laughed joke. and laughed and laughed about that Aww. because frankly, <laughs>
1: Corey had no shortage of girlfriends. Cool right? <laughs> just... And again, he just, I think that he had this way of making people feel so comfortable. He didn't even know. Yeah. He didn't even know the, impact that he had
0: she just I think that she, anyway, just, she, she felt so you know sweet. she felt funny about seeing you know because she grew up too right and so she just thought well this will be funny I can just kind of say this was a funny thing we did in seventh grade
1: no so. it was so I remember I just remember vividly her yeah. it, she left it on the she porch did. and we gave Corey so much crap about <laughs> it endless endless crap about it
0: well so cute Anyway, so sorry, it's just funny. after he, you gotta be a little, you do. You do. So after he passed away though, um, honestly, it was, it was difficult for her. And so that's yeah. when I started following you on social media and I was so impressed with just your level of vulnerability. Um, I think you and I have, have very similar attitudes. It's something because I lost my sister to suicide, I'm kind of that person that also wants to speak out about it and not everybody deals with grief in the same way. And that's cool. And you know, whatever that's their thing. But for me, I find it important to talk about it. And so even though we're in this club that we never wished that we were in, um, I just, I really admire your presence on social media and on your podcast spreading awareness, because I know that, that it has touched so many people and probably, honestly saved lives. And so thank you so much for being willing to, to share your story there and to come on my podcast. I, I truly, truly appreciate it. So well, yeah.
1: <laughs> I want to, I think you, I mean, 12 years ago, a 29 year old girl that would just, you know, the, ch- the chatter about that And I'm sure that was, you know, this is your little perfect sister. I mean, I know how we feel about our little sisters. You know, we look up to them and um, 12 years, if you think about 12 years ago to now, we have made great strides in suicide and talking about suicide. And it's because we've lost a lot of people um and so to everybody that's listening please know that even if there's somebody that you don't have somebody in your life that you're worried about or you haven't gone through this please find a way to be informed because you just never know when somebody is going to need you it might not be somebody in your family it might be somebody in your family Learn where to get some help. And before we end this podcast, I just want to share a couple of places that, that have become um, that are, that are current resources that weren't there. Um, Five years ago, if you called suicide hotline, they would say, you know, take this person to the ER, which that is still, response. If you have somebody that is having an anxiety attack, um, take them to the hospital. They will be given privacy. They will be allowed to calm down. The reality is that a very high percentage, I'm not going to quote any percentages, but a very high percentage is if you can get them to calm down past that pinnacle of very scary, it will save their life um, and get them The people in the hospital will know if they need to be given further support. If they need to be taken into an overnight facility and care, um, they will know. Um, New laws and regulations have passed that in the next four or five years, there will be some places that are being built, funding has been given, where you can take somebody into these crisis centers. Mm -hmm. And so um, that hasn't happened yet. Number two, there's something that's called the Safe UT app. Now, it's for Utahns, um, but really, they don't know where you're calling from. It's true. <laughs> and there are 24-hour trained clinicians that man the Safe UT app. You can call them and talk on the phone. You can you, if you're worried about somebody, or you, if you're in crisis yourself, can call or you can chat, text chat, and they're magicians. They do know what to say when someone's in crisis versus probably you as a mom not knowing what to say when your child is in crisis. That is a powerful, powerful resource. They have access to a mobile crisis unit and they will send them out to your house and sit down with your child or with whoever is in crisis and talk you through it and give you an. Immediate assessment whether or not um, some uh, other form of action needs to be taken immediately. Um, If that mobile unit, I mean, it's amazing what that mobile unit has been able to achieve in a very short amount of time. Um, The funding is there because the politicians in this state have been working very, very hard to get the funding. so please know about that UT app, download it. That UT app is linked to every single school in, in the state of Utah. And so like if a kid is worried about a friend and they can tell that UT app about it, that UT app will go directly to um, school administrators and get information. And it's an amazing amount of support.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I'm thankful for that. As people call me all the time, message me. I'm able to turn them to the Safe U T people and the Crisis Mobile Unit, and it cause it just provides immediate support. So, um, those are two places to know of, and you know immediately either go to the ER or contact the Safe U T.
0: Thank you. I'll for sure link, I'm sure they have a website too. So yeah. I'll link that in my show notes, um, along with kind of more about you and your website. Um, speaking of that, if somebody has been touched by the things that you've shared, um, is there a way that they can get in contact with you? What's the best way to do that? Absolutely. Um, so I do have a
1: podcast It's called like the fight and um, we talk about relationships. You can follow Light the Fight on Instagram. You can follow me at Heidi Swap on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, Facebook, I don't really get on Facebook. I don't really like it. And so (laughs) I actually pay somebody to manage my Facebook account. So if you want to actually contact me, the best way to do it is through Instagram. All right. (laughs) I do actually run my own
0: Instagram account. Yeah, good. (laughs) I'm sure it gets hard. So Heidi Swap or Light the Fight. Light the fight. Yes, that we haven't had a chance to talk much about that, but I highly recommend people um, checking out your podcast too, because on it, you just share so many parenting tips, um, things that you've learned through your own story. Um, you, like you said, you talk with um, David, who is a licensed therapist and has been doing this for a really long time. And the the tips and strategies that you guys share on there have really even changed the way that I mother, um, So it's a great, great resource. So thank Thank you you so much for being here. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to the Light in the Darkness podcast. And I hope you all have a wonderful week and that you can find the light in your own personal darkness. And I'll see you here next Wednesday. I want to give a special thanks to my son, Carter, for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at carterguitar456.